Welcome back to another episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian Sage. Today's guest, we have a guy that's living in the Peruvian Amazon jungle. Okay, he has one line in this show that just blows my mind. He says, you can learn more from shamans in the jungles of Peru about sales than anywhere else. Sales. We're talking about business transactions. And who can teach you more? According to Jake Housden, it's the shamans in jungles of Peru. So what do we talk about? Let me just dive right into it. We talk about what it takes to move and live in the Amazon jungle, what it's like. We talk about the shaman teachings and really what medicine is there and how different it is to the first world countries around the world. Even talk about who oversees changing your mindset and how you can do it even now. And then as always, we talk about the true art of living and it's all about one worth living. And let's be honest, we all want practical steps and I can guarantee this entire show drops them. I had a notebook full re-listening to this show because Jake, he just drops continuous tools and practical steps for how to improve your life, how to become a better salesperson, how to see people better, and how to really align yourself with everyone you interact with, no matter where they are, who they are, and what they believe. So I'm not gonna keep you from the show anymore, but if you haven't already, hit the follow, hit the subscribe, leave a five-star rating, the show depends upon it and let's get into the show jake this is awesome man i'm so excited to have you on the show welcome on you have a beautiful background those that are not able to see it and are listening jake is in the jungle right now and he'll tell us a little bit more about where he's at and how he got there in his entire journey but first off i gotta say thank you so much for coming on the show oh it's my pleasure brian we've had this teed up for a while and i was really looking forward to it and thanks for your patience to postpone so that i could be back in my home here in the Amazon jungle, <laughs> thought it might make for a more interesting show for everyone. Absolutely. I, I gotta say, I'm curious to know about certain things and how you got there in, in that entire journey of finding yourself in the Amazon jungle. But I first like to know who Jake was as a kid and who you were on the playground. Great question. Hopefully there's not too much background noise. There's just a boat going by here, one of my neighbors. But when I was young, who was I? I think I was a very kid who thought a lot, who was on a quest for truth from a pretty young age. As a baby, I was very calm. My parents always joke that they had me and I was calm like a Buddha or something. And then my sister came along, she was quite the opposite. And so they always joke that if they had her first, then I wouldn't exist, stuff like that. But yeah, I always loved nature. I think that's where I've always felt most at home. And that probably has a lot to do with why I've ended up here in the Amazon. But yeah, just someone who thought a lot and was really into nature. It's hard to remember back then, you know, how I was really. Absolutely. No, I, I gotta say that's probably, I can see that now and everything that you're doing in the nature and the Amazon forest or in jungle, excuse me, and everything that you're pushing plants and bringing awareness to that. And I want to get into that, but I want to also bring light to this was not Jake from the get go. You had to take a leap to get here. What were you doing prior to now where you're at? Yeah, like a lot of people, I went off to university. When I hit the age for that, I went to business school. And from a really young age too, to get back to your question before, I always envisioned myself creating a business, creating businesses. Anywhere I would go, I'd go into Tim Hortons. Shout out to any Canadians listening who know Tim Hortons. And I'd just imagine, I'd reimagine like the customer experience in there. I'd be like, wow, mom, imagine they did this and this was like this. And, and I was always like that. I always saw the world through the lens of someone who wanted to create things in the world, basically. And so that that was always there. When I was in high school, writing was really one of my gifts. So a lot of teachers would always kind of praise me for my writing and stuff like that. I was accused of plagiarizing a lot when I was young and I didn't. I loved words. I loved 
kind of the art side of things and stuff like that. So I was like, hey, I'll be a lawyer or something like that. Because when you're young, you just have to choose one of these predetermined sort of paths. And then at the same time, though, school came very easily to me. So I had high grades and and everything. When I was young, I was deemed to be gifted, whatever that means. When I was in grade two, I was encouraged to skip a lot of grades and stuff like that. But my mom worked in education and she advised me against that because of just the social impact and, and that aspect of school. So I didn't do that, but school came very easy. So all the subjects, science, I loved math. I loved, I really loved a lot of it, visual arts, music, even at one point, I actually wanted to go into a music school for high school. I was really into the guitar and stuff like that. So I was stretched in a lot of directions and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be, which I think is the pernicious question that we ask young kids like we really want a cute response from them hey what do you want to be when you grow up and then little Tommy says an astronaut or Susie says she wants to be a businesswoman or or something like that and the parents chuckle and it's all good but I'm just having fun with this because I think that same question what do you want to be makes us choose something and by choosing something it makes us neglect all of the other potential possibilities that we could be and it makes us neglect the discovery process so i personally think that it's a little bit troublesome for the world when we ask children and teenagers like to just choose a predetermined path and the education system seems to lend itself towards that. The amount of money you put into your degree is so great that like you ought to have an idea about what you want to get out of that because it's such a large investment, right? So you really are forced into this choosing type of mindset. And so for me, I was pulled in a bunch of different directions and I was heavy on the law thing for some reason that just seemed like a sexy career or something. And I guess I liked arguing things and, and stuff like that. But in the end, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to business school because business school is the thing that I'll be able to fall back on to have this like security blanket of like money. And hey, I've got the grades to get in wherever I want. Like, why don't I choose that? And so I kept taking like calculus and like all those things. I'm not sure why calculus is really required for business school, by the way, but I kept taking all those subjects. Yeah. So that I could take that path. So I went off to business school. And when I was there, noticed that all of the older students that seemed like cool and what I wanted to be, like they were all the ones who were most busy with extracurricular activities. They definitely held it down academically too, but they were like very heavy on the extracurricular life. So when I first got there, I immersed myself in extracurricular activities as much as I could. And one of the things that I did, because again, I was like, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to run my own business. So business school is probably the place to do that. Turns out that's not exactly what they teach at business school. But so I got involved in this competition, an entrepreneurship competition at our school. And I was volunteering. My role was a team host. So I was 18. I was a team host. And so companies promising startups came to compete for the $30,000 cash prize. And I had two teams assigned to me and basically just had to make sure they're in the right place at the right time, chat with them, stuff like that. One of those companies was, I'd say ed tech now, but we didn't know that we were really in ed tech at the time. It was this mobile application for students, basically. And I met the founders. We really hit it off. They had started at the University of Toronto and McGill, and they wanted to branch out into different universities. And I was at Queen's University. As the weekend went, they ended up winning the competition, and the founders basically asked me to join the company and help them with their mission. So I got involved in that pretty quick, and that that became like more important to me than even like the classes and like stuff like that in school. That that really became the lens through which I saw the rest of my educational experience. And that was really cool and very rewarding for me. I definitely learned a lot. And yeah, I got started in this by students for students mobile application. So at the time, Facebook had left the college space and it was the big Facebook that it is today. Groupon was really big at the time and mobile was really new like iPhones I think we had the iPhone like 3GS back then or something like just to put into perspective and so this application was a mobile app where college students could 
connect with each other, see which other students are nearby, get discounts on things like the campus pub or stuff like that, even get on the guest list to nightclubs. We even had this like silly feature where you could rate how hot other students were and stuff like that. So definitely like taking a lot of pages out of the Facebook playbook and trying to create something on campus. And it was all just direct to the students. Like we didn't used to partner with the universities. We used to partner with the student unions. And so what I would do is I would go around downtown Kingston, for anyone that knows it, Princess Street. And I remember my first day with the CEO, we were walking down the street and what we had to do was go into each place and basically pitch them on offering a coupon to all the students. So he went into one and he did it and he got them signed up and stuff like that. And he showed me how it was done. And then he's the next one, he was like, all right, Jake, like now it's your turn. So I did it too. And I learned a lot from him. And what he taught me right away was, okay, as soon as you're done talking in the store and they want to sign up, then just go right outside the store sit down and send all the follow-up, take care of all the emails, get them signed right up and just close the loop right away. So that was my first, it was it was my first proper exposure to selling and I had a lot of fun with that. And it gave me this identity when I was younger as this young guy on campus, like hustling and working on a startup and stuff like that. So it was awesome. So that was what I started with. And I almost dropped out of university because the startup was picking up traction. We got into an incubator program called Founder Fuel in Montreal. We had raised money from investors. It was all getting very exciting. But after a bunch of intense chats with my parents, let's say I, I chose to stay the course and complete my degree. That was how I got exposed to what eventually became my tenure in the SaaS startup world. So at some point working with this company, we decided that it was really difficult to just partner with universities directly and try to get students onto the app that way. We would we needed to partner with the university directly, basically. So we started branding the app and we like white labeling it to each university and selling it directly to them. So that was a really interesting transition point in the company. And I remember like I just used Skype to cold call universities and we were reaching out to them. Everything was very new. We didn't know how much to charge. I'd ask, okay, so like how much should we charge? And they're like, what do you think? And that to me was really interesting. I was like, okay, interesting. So eventually I sold the first ever contract to a university. It was Indian Hills Community College in Iowa. And that kind of set in motion this whole journey to basically learning how to sell, reaching out outbound, doing the full sales cycle and stuff like that. Eventually, we built out a team with SDRs. I didn't really know what an SDR was at the time and away we went. And in our first year, we ended up doing close to a million dollars in sales. So that that was really what set my early career path in motion. And after that, I spent 10 years working in three different startup companies, helping them from early revenue stage to build up their team, get some traction and operationalize everything. So yeah, software startups was my previous life and it's still a part of who I am today. And I'm very passionate about selling and going outbound and the empowerment that can bring to people too. That's the part that's most exciting to me. Like I still remember that feeling selling that first contract. I was walking down Saint Laurent in Montreal after, and I just felt like bold and just powerful and I remember thinking like confidence is the key that unlocks like everyone's potential. And I wanted to get a tattoo at the time of the key to our office just to, to symbolize like this key of confidence. That was my idea. I wanted to get it on my leg to be like it was in my pocket, but I never ended up doing that. But that was that's why I love selling, I think, is that feeling. And it, it makes you just reimagine what's possible in life. Like when you grab life, it gets really interesting. One of my favorite rappers, Russ, he has this line that's, I don't believe in luck. I believe that life's a buffet. You better eat it up. And yeah, I think that there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, so that's my little long-winded, rambly version of kind of how I got started and stuff like that. Absolutely love that. And I think the whole journey of knowing you and even knowing where you're at now and those that might not even know you are finding this out. We talked about how we're starting out now here. We're in the Amazon forest or jungle. And then now we're, we went from SaaS and we started up and right, we weren't initially here. And that entire journey is that's the point of it. That's the point of life is that it's experience based, right? And you're meant to have experiences. You're meant to have bold 
decisions and have to be fearful and step out into that courage of trying to sell. And like you said, once you sell something, there's a lot of confidence that comes with that. Like you're like, that person just bought an idea of mine or a project or service of mine that I created. And there's a lot there. And like you said, it breaks down the walls of if I can do this, then I can get another person, another person. And then we see the real passion and the real fire of I can create something. I can do this. And the belief starts to set in. So anybody that's, I want to try to highlight something here. Anybody that's trying to get confident with selling their first products, first service, first whatever, they want to be an entrepreneur, they want to start something, they might have an idea and they want to sell themselves on it or sell even another person on it. What is something you could say to them that you used to believe in yourself that you can do this? One thing that I think holds a lot of people back is that they think that there's something wrong with selling like fundamentally, right? We know the annoying retail salesperson that sort of asks us if we need help with anything when we first walk in the store and we all say, oh, I'm just browsing, thanks, just looking, right? Oh, there's all the used car salesman stereotypes. I've never had any experience with a used car salesman. Those stereotypes exist. And I think that it's an aspect of human behavior where it really exposes to us whether we have faith in each other or not, whether we trust in humanity. It's where we transact with each other. It's where we exchange energy. And the thing with financial resources is that it's a resource that in theory gets us anything, not anything, but any material things that we need to fulfill the rest of our sort of hierarchy of needs. And so people are just interested in having as much of it as they can. And our biological instincts end up making us not really see a limit to that sort of imagine this right you only want so many oranges at your house or something like that because you can only eat so many before they go bad but like with money like you're down in theory to just have as much of it as possible and fear is an emotion that drives us like it helps us evolve it helps us stay alive and now that there's money that fear ends up doing some wonky things in terms of how much of that we want to have and what we're willing to do to get that because we attach our survival to money. So I think that's the root of it where we end up like mistrusting each other because we know that deep down like we would do anything to survive and have that if push came to shove. So it, it, it has us proceed with this sort of skeptical lens in terms of how we view people that have a desire to make a transaction with us, let's say. So I think that overcoming that aspect of, let's call it the stigma of selling, is probably one of the most important parts to being able to sell freely and to sell effectively. Because most people just demonize what they're doing. Like most young salespeople, even very experienced people, like some of them still have this like inner part of them that thinks what they're doing is somewhat wrong. So I think that's something that those layers need to be shed. And yeah, it's something I became really passionate about. The way I always led was very heart centered and very with a very human approach. And I'm a big Daft Punk fan, actually. And I love the juxtaposition of robot, human. And that became almost my brand in the sales world was this person that would still leverage technology and automation and being efficient and all of those things, which we need to do as sellers, but also would unite that with the fact that as Daft Punk would remind us, we're all human after all, right? And ultimately, like, I think that understanding that what you're doing as a seller at the heart of it is you're helping someone to understand if they ought to mobilize some of their resources to obtain a better future state for themselves, essentially. And you're like a guide for them in discovering that. And yes, you do have an inherent self-interest in that transaction taking place. But if you do it long enough, you end up realizing that you don't want transactions to take place that aren't meant to take place and everything. And that in the end, that doesn't end up serving you. So you almost don't actually have that. But the way commission plans are structured, the way all these things work, yes, people want to have that happen because again, they want their needs to be met. They want to achieve their dreams. They want to do things with the money. And so I think that's a big part of it. Brian is really just like 
shrugging that stigma, getting it off. And then that allows you to be in a place where you're having real conversations like and you're not attached to the outcome of those conversations. And I call it like, like a lot of people say detach from the outcome. That's a very popular mantra in the sales world. And it has a lot of validity. I like to say attach and detach. So attach to the thing to attach to is trying your absolute damn best to help that person discern whether they ought to do this or not and trying to help them basically trying to help bring them to that future state that they probably have a high chance of getting to or else you shouldn't really be talking to them in the first place. Yeah, anyways, that's just a bit of a bit of rhetoric there for you on that. <laughs> no, it's true. You, do- you dove into some really heavy stuff and in the symbolism with money and what that's created as financial resource of where we're, it's really just a tool. It's, a, it's an asset, if you will, but we think too highly of it. And that's because the world's kind of built around it and saying you need it in order to eat, you need it for living, you need it for a car, your kids, blah, blah, blah. Uh, all these things that we really truly care about, like you said, the hierarchy of needs. And then we've put the symbol on each one of them. And I think it has to go back to, you got to have good intention in your connection. So where are you when you are trying to converse or sell or connect with another? Are you doing it with intention that you just want their money or do you do it with an intention that you want to actually help them, like you said, step up in the service that you're providing and make that resource mobile for them in order for them to step into that next level or next realm? And I think that's lost a lot. Yeah, that's exactly it, Brian. Like The thing that I've come to learn that differentiates exceptional, outstanding, incredible salespeople and sales outreach from, let's say, good or very good, is that the person genuinely, truly in their heart actually wants to help the other person, like in its intention, that's what you said. And intention is really a technology, I like to think of it as. It's almost a GPS that allows you to navigate life without having to punch in the actual coordinates into Google Maps. And if you ever get lost, it lets you reroute in the same way, but without fixating on an actual destination. So I think intention is very powerful and I think it's misunderstood. And if let's say if the business world truly knew the power of intention, then half the training more than half would be all about that it'd be about energetic concepts it would be it'd be things that you could learn from shamans in the jungles of peru those would be literally the first things you would want to teach your sellers and that's what i essentially did my team and i like that's what we were all about like we were it was all about and that's how i conducted myself in the business world that's how i've had the success that i've had today is i view it as an energetic exchange I come into that experience with my heart open, wanting to help people. And that that just never leads you astray. And you will go astray sometimes. Like you're, but again, like it's okay to get lost, right? Just come back to your intention. Come back to your intention. And that's what's going to create the container that allows you to have this experience that ends up being just what you need at that time, basically. No, I think you're absolutely right. And maybe these group retreats for these business teams need to go down to the Peru jungle, Amazon jungle, and have these shamans teach them a few things and be like, what? (laughs) I can make my numbers with this? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, bridging the world. And that's very much the role that I see myself playing. This is just hilarious that at that moment, all is right yeah like i'm doing a podcast in the jungle sitting in a boat and then yeah chatting with my friends here at the same time but that's all just fun but that really like to return back to the seriousness of this like i think the the bridging is what's required now and we've had globalization we've got all these cultures we've got all these things and i think now it's time for everyone to come together and learn from each other and focus on like the spaces in between the common ground, but also the ways that the differences can like help to create harmony and something that's greater than the sum of all parts, basically. So 
I envision myself doing things like bringing sales leaders together with shamans and seeing what that leads to and helping bring different scientists, medical professionals together with people here who are very steeped in plant medicines and the healing arts and all of these things. And a lot of people are doing this type of work now. A lot of people are feeling this calling to go down here and do stuff like that. So it's really a beautiful time to be alive. Yeah, it's fascinating time to be alive with just again, like you said, and what we're starting to see is we're finally at a point where we're willing to listen to another person that they might have some insights that I didn't consider. If you went 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and you're like, took a sales team to the jungle in Peru and said, go sit with the shaman, he's going to teach you some things. You'd be like, what? <laughs> what? No, so I would never thought. But here we are conveying this and then showing science is catching up. Energies are showing up businesses are showing up and saying, look, the same principles that the shaman's been talking about, those the ancient texts have been talking about, there might be actually something here. Eh, let's actually push our egos aside and open ourselves up to that. Exactly. And I think, Brian, the work you're doing with the art of mindset, you're helping to also be a bridge with a lot of different perspectives. And it's really important stuff. And just to take it to the mind for a second, right? Like the mind, let's say the collective mind of the Western North American world, I'm not sure that anyone could argue that it's not sick. Like it is sick. The amount of drugs, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, like it's the consumption is far higher than anywhere else in the world by a long shot, by orders of magnitude. And when you come in places like the jungle here in Peru, there is no such thing as anxiety. That word doesn't even exist. There is no such thing as depression. Like, yes, people have ailments and they have illnesses and things happen, but those aren't terms that are even understood. There's not even a place for them. And a lot of the work now that's happening with healers here is they're healing people of those things. So it's really interesting. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> now I want to dive into that. I want to get into that component of what you're talking about and plant medicine and all the sorts. And I once read, it was an article and it changed me, right? Like you just said, it caused me to think about something that Depression, anxiety, yes, people suffer from it without a doubt. In the northern, right, western culture, we can say North America, but the northern side of it, USA, United States, Canada, these major entities of these countries. But the thing is, was this a marketing scheme? Was there an idea of saying, how can we get people to believe that they have this, right? Where a pharmaceutical company can say, hey, look, let's say you have anxiety, do you suffer from XYZ? What all these ailments, right? We'll name them and we'll get you to start to think that you have these and then we'll sell you a, a silver bullet. But then we don't tell you that these silver bullets have side effects. You'll find that out later and that it doesn't balance you holistically. We even talked before this, we've said search and destroy reductionistic medicine. So I'm curious to know with you and your exposure to what you've seen in Peru and plant medicine, holistic, what are people not seeing or even knowing right now in that area? Yeah, so quickly, I think, yes, there are always those incentives at play that we discussed before, which make it such that, let's say, perhaps a corporation may have a vested interest in marketing magic pills to leave, alleviate you of something. But that's also what's at the heart of selling at the end of the day. It's that we want to offer this sort of silver bullet solution, but maybe not even a silver bullet solution. We just want to offer a thing, let's call it a pill, that is going to help bring someone to a better place. But therein lies one of the issues with the Western mindset. And it's not a bad thing overall. Like It's very helpful in some contexts. It's extremely useful. But in trying to heal your mind, trying to heal your body, your spirit, it's difficult. There's a time and place for it, but with the things people are experiencing now, it's not necessarily the path forward. And I think it's clear to see that with the amount that people are hurting, struggling, right? So you brought it up. It's very much this juxtaposition of a reductionistic lens where we, in our current paradigm, want to basically have a study of a study of a study of a study. Like, 
we have the discipline of this and within that we have a sub-discipline and within the sub-discipline we have uh, this. And I think about this with creators and their creativity and their niches too and all of that stuff and the effect that can have on people, but we can get into that later. But it's that is very helpful sometimes to study things, to understand them. We break them down into their little pieces. But when we look at the way things are presented to us in nature, they're not in their little pieces. They're in beings like plants or they're more whole, right? And everything that's separate wants to become whole. And so a lot of people approach their health where they're like, hey, I have this problem going on and I want it to be better. So I'm looking to make that happen. And that's... Because the reason people sell you things in that format is because you seek solutions in that format to begin with. Good sellers are adapting what they do to the buyer's journey or process. So it's not like there's these evil corporations out there who are just trying to like, it's not quite that. It's that based on the way that we're evolving and the way that we think about the problems we have, that produces the potential solutions to those problems. That informs what the solutions look like. So that's why it is a mindset change that needs to take place. And yeah, to get back to this holistic idea, it's you need to you need to think of yourself as an entire organism and you may have one problem, you can't sleep at night, let's say. But that may be intertwined with so many things that you can't quite put your finger on. And so I think having this more holistic viewpoint can lead us to better health outcomes because we won't, because anything that we take into our body that has an effect, it can take us towards balance, but it creates imbalance at the same time. Anything that that does anything has an effect that happens. A lot of times we're correcting a symptom by taking a pill, let's say, or doing some prescribed thing But we need to understand that in so doing, we are not necessarily getting to the root of the problem. And we may actually be making it more difficult for ourselves to even get to that, to the root of the problem because we're masking it. And we may even worsen the root problem because we're pushing the illness deeper and deeper into other parts of our our being, basically. An example could be someone has eczema, let's say, on their skin. And they take some kind of topical steroidal ointment for this. And it maybe helps to clear up the skin a little bit on the surface, but it's suppressing that illness deeper and deeper into the tissues of their body, basically. So now, oh, my skin looks better, like I'm better. But no, like you've just pushed the illness deeper and deeper into other parts of yourself. And the paradigm here, the shamanic lens, is that all illness has a root in a sort of psycho-emotional place. So that the fact that you have anxiety now could be related to a traumatic childhood experience that you had or something like that. And they view every physical ailment, aside from like someone smacks you across the head or something, like every physical ailment has an emotional, psycho-spiritual kind of root. And that's the work that they do is they focus on going to that place And they do so through spirit and they basically are able to manipulate what's going on in the spirit world to rectify this energetic imbalance that's happening inside your body. That is a very different paradigm than taking Advil when you have a headache or taking Prozac when you feel depressed or something like that. Now, again, there is a time and place for the Western medicine, the seek and destroy type of mindset, right? Okay, there's an illness. And we got to get it out. Like, we got to get rid of it. I myself, I, at a young age, had my gallbladder full of stones. And that was a result of a lot of things in my life. And it got so bad where I almost essentially died a couple times because the stones ended up blocking the biliary ducts and all of that. So the bile couldn't flow from the liver. Like, my skin turned yellow. My eyes were jaundiced. I was vomiting for days on end. I was in and out of the hospital quite a few times for that. And it ended up being that like, yes, if I didn't have Western medicine, if I didn't have that at that time, I would have died. Like I absolutely would have died. My body had infection, all of those things. So there is a time and place for all of this. And I think where a lot of people go wrong is the pendulum always swings. We go way too far one way. So we need to correct and we need to go the other way. But then people end up just 
getting way left field again. And they end up discrediting their credibility. You know what I mean? Because they're like so passionately stuck to one side or another. And I think that's the type of thinking that it's all part of the journey. It's all part of the evolution, but it doesn't do so much to help us advance. I think we our times now call for this kind of understanding, this integration of both sides and not demonizing anyone, but seeing where they can come together and understanding what's the right time and place for each. And so that's why you might see me on LinkedIn saying things like, I like to deploy the dance moves based on the music that's playing or all of these types of things, trying to just have fun with the tension between the two poles. Most people try to be polarizing. That's an effective way to spread a message, but it's also like, how can we help to unify polarity? How can we help people to participate in polarity? We don't need to transcend it and say, oh, nothing's good and bad. Everything's just, nothing matters. Let's just, that's a nihilistic perspective that I don't think is so enjoyable in life. But I think at the same time, there's a kind of a middle ground and it requires us to, yeah, to have this open-mindedness and this open-heartedness basically and self-awareness as well. Yeah, Um, I think that's, you hit a lot of points that are really powerful and highlighting that there are parts in our lives, if you will, or portions of our experience where it might require us to have a seek and destroy, find this problem, I'm about to die, you need to help me. I come from a background in healthcare and emergency medicine. So I know that there are points in time where that's helpful. But then there's other parts of it, like you said, where if we're treating the depression, we're treating the skin problem, we're treating all of these things, can we think that if we're doing this, if we're taking this pill, and we're taking the ointment, and we're putting it on, is it like you were saying, pushing it somewhere else? Is there a possibility that it's just like us? It's just like energy. It's just transactional. It's going to, there's no energies never created nor destroyed. It just is. So where does it then go? And if we can open up our minds to that possibility that the same exact thing, these polarizing points, and that's where the podcast comes in and we're having these conversations that it's an art form, right? Reality and life is an art. The mind is just as one. So the the polarity points of where we're creating polar points of focus doesn't mean one's right or wrong. It doesn't mean whatever. But if you were to walk that same walk that that mind is having, that experience is having in that individual, then you might have that same point of view. And that's the point in which we need to understand is that don't judge it. Don't say it's wrong or bad or whatever. Just begin to understand that and be, like you said, open-minded, open-hearted in that and allowing that possibility to be that there is ability. And there are people out there in the Peru jungle, Amazon jungle, using spirit sounds crazy to somebody right now that's very in in a world that's not there, but can use spirit to help heal. That is the doctor for that culture. To a Western medicine individual, they're like, that doesn't exist here, or that's a nutty person, right, on the street somewhere. But now, again, perspective, belief patterns, upbringing, is there a possibility there? So how do we open up to that more? I think empathy, it does begin with empathy. And I think it it first begins with empathy for yourself. That's where a lot of people are. That's the foundation, right? We hear it all the time. You can't love anyone else until you love yourself. It's true. And we need to have compassion for ourselves. So all this duality, this polarity, these different sides that we're talking about, this tension, that all exists within ourselves as well. So there's an alchemical piece of wisdom that says, as above, so below, as within, so without, right? And what that's telling us is that everything is a microcosm of the macrocosm. So everything that exists in your external life, your external world, the existence you have, the relationships, the work you do, you know, how you derive meaning in life, like that all takes place like within you as well. And everything that's outside is a reflection of what's inside. And so I think that we could take a page out of Jordan Peterson's book and we could say, clean up your room first. That's the first priority is clean your house yourself but love yourself. Take time to find all of the parts of yourself that you've neglected, that you've put in the corner, that you've told you're bad. Go wear the dunce cap and be shameful about yourself. The analogy I like to think of is like, imagine that each of us is like this like castle, this great castle, okay, with all of these rooms, this amazing castle, and we're having this beautiful party that we call life. 
And there's people from different cultures, there's different ages, and maybe just think of it as your family. Imagine you have this big, huge, extended family, different relatives, let's say cross-cultural, like everything. And it's this incredible party, but like some people are like in a room downstairs, closed off, the doors closed and they're just on their own in there. And over there upstairs, there's another group and they're closed off. They're in their room. And maybe they were told to go in there. You put them in there or something unintentionally. And your job to to fix that is is to say, okay, let me go to all of these different rooms. Let me be a good host to myself. And let me go see all these different versions of me, these different aspects that seem like they might be at odds. And let me like go in there, open up that door, light a few candles for them, put out some food. Maybe I'm half Greek, put out some olives, some feta cheese and pour a little wine for them and say, look, if you want to stay there, if you want to hang out here, that's totally cool. And I'm here and that's fine. And I love you. And but there's also a cool dance going on, like in the great ballroom downstairs. And like, those other people are there. And it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. If you want to come join and it's a fun metaphor. And I'm getting goosebumps. But it's like, it's really like to say that this is the process of integration of self. And it begins with that compassion and love and being a good host, right? If you're a host of a party, you're not going to go around like your goal is to create harmony for everyone to have a good time together and that's what we're all here to do in this life to learn from each other to experience and just to exist because it's more fun to than to not so I think that's the place where we have to start is with ourselves and the Hawaiian ho'oponono technique is very useful technology for that where it's about forgiveness so we could say thank you I love you sorry all of those things. And what I like to add is I am you. Like understand, and you can apply this with yourself, different aspects of yourself, but you can also apply this to other people. So that so it starts with self. Then we start to go out to other people. Family members, I think are most important first, friends, community, and on. But I think understanding that like you are each other, we are each other. That is the way to integrate. Like you your demons and stuff like that like your demons are part of you they're a helpful part of you they help you to evolve they help you to steer you in a certain direction towards something or away from something and we just need to like love them give them a big kiss give them a big hug and understand that you are them like set them free in that way so that they don't have to be this big demon right like they want love too they're just trying to do their job too basically and this is this extreme compassion extreme empathy kind of lens that i think is really the way to to heal yourself and to heal others and to make the world a better place yeah i think at all like you said work inside love yourself it's a cliche we hear it all the time love yourself and then you can love others right yes that's true but what does that really mean what does that really mean i think that analogy you gave with the castle like components of there's portions of myself i can tell you right now they're stuck in a dungeon somewhere i should probably let them out i should go light some candles see if they want some wine and come on out man let's cry it out and let's go and dance there's parts of myself that need that and i think we all have that and then we start to see and then we can see that in other people and it's like, oh they're ignoring portions of themselves there's portions of themselves locked away somewhere or in a dungeon somewhere or in a room that they haven't talked to in a long time so how can we help them on that same journey and that's where we're really seeing compassion and outside of self into other selves and seeing that portion of that. So how did you start to see this in your own journey? How did that awareness come to be for you? It's a dog. He does a good job protecting the house. But I think it's been an evolution. I don't know if I could pinpoint one exact moment where that happened. But I think like I've just been on this journey of shedding these different layers of like shame that I've harbored for myself or guilt. Shame and guilt are good places to start. Like, where do you feel shame? Where do you feel guilt? And and you might not know at first and stuff like that. But like, a good clue is if you see something in another person, and it like upsets you or it like triggers you that word, that's a clue, right? That's telling you that there's something inside you that you haven't necessarily integrated or that you've been neglecting that you've put into one of those rooms and you've closed it off and you've said it was bad, basically. I think just be very careful with the labels of good and bad on yourself and examine the labels of bad especially that you have and why you've placed them there and what they mean and generally speaking we can quote Ram Das like we're all just walking each 
other at home, we can think of each other as like mirrors to each other. So I think like the external world is like a feedback loop that helps you to understand where you might have some of this shame, this guilt, that type of thing. And yeah, and sometimes it's your family members like played a huge role in like creating this shame on you or something, right? Like sometimes it doesn't, it has something to do with you because you're the one ultimately that places the shame there and that maintains it and that continues to cultivate it. But it can be like, yeah, you have to try to free yourself from it and you have to see that part of yourself and love it. I used to work a lot, like way too much. And I drove my health into the ground and I used to have habits, let's say ways of relaxing that were unhealthy. And even within plant medicine, I've had a relationship with cannabis for a very long time, which is an incredible teacher plant that has so much to offer humanity. At the same time, as with anything, you can use something in a way that ends up hurting you. And I've been through all kinds of stuff like that. And you can end up then creating shame, though, over something that like you love or over a part of you that's actually just like something awesome, but you just went a little bit awry. So I think we see this with like burnout and stuff. That's why I have the whole hustle healthy thing, because someone has to stick up for hustle, too. Like we can't just put shame on hustling and working hard. Like. I, as a person, I enjoy working hard. Like not everything needs to be hard. You can get the fruits of your labor. Some of the most amazing fruits might come from something that didn't feel so hard. We don't have to put ourselves through suffering and agony. At the same time, some of us like genuinely like to serve and we like to have a little bit of an element where we're we're putting sometimes our own needs secondary in order to be a leader for others but we have to be careful when we do that that we don't go way overboard and we don't end up not loving ourselves and not taking care of ourselves and that's actually in the healing world what happens with a lot of healers is that they end up not taking care of their own energy as they need to anyways yeah i could riff on that topic like all day basically but i think that yeah start with where are you shameful where do you feel guilt where are you placing labels of bad on other people on yourself and just shine a bit of light there and anything that's dark or that feels scary or you don't really want to go there yeah there's emotion that's not been processed by you right like the emotion has to be expressed so you are going to maybe cry about it and you are going to you have to feel it you have to go through it the only way is through it that's the only way but guess what it's not as bad as it's not bad there we go again it's not as scary as it seems it's not as i posted on linkedin something today from terence mckenna where he talks about how nature rewards courage and that the trick is to curl yourself into the abyss and realize that it's just a feather once you actually do so i think it's be bold enough to venture into the dark parts don't be afraid of them realize that they are important parts of you and don't even when people then get shameful about what they did in the past like it's like shame on top of shame on top of shame it's you don't need to do that it was there for a reason it happened for a reason it's all good and just move forward and integrate that part of yourself yeah take that lesson and just walk with it and just learn take what you learned along that walk with you and that's it man and that's probably one of the most difficult things to do in this entire experience is love and really forgive yourself and then help others do in that same way. And then that's a big part of what we have to consciously do intentionally do back to that tying that back to the beginning of this conversation, how we need to really just do that on a day to day aspect of yeah, hold space, you need to create the time and space, you need to hold the space for yourself for that to take place. And sometimes that means dropping a few things you're doing, taking time, like getting time back and being able to do that sort of thing. You don't need to venture down to the Amazon jungle, but you might want to, right? That might help you. It's incredible the change in perspective we have when we change environments, when we do all those things. But to your point, I think we need to create the time and space for these things to take place. So it is a conscious, intention-based type of work. And it is work. There's no getting around it. It's the work. And we will always try to find ways to avoid the work and to look for that magic pill, to look for that silver bullet that doesn't quite exist. And eventually we're just going to have to face it and we can avoid it all we want. We can kick it down, kick the can down the line a little bit. And sometimes we might need to do that. Maybe it's, whoa, that's a lot. Like I'm not in a place right now to fully deal with all that. That's okay. But at some point you probably want to because it's only going to intensify. It's only going to grow. And darkness is just compressed light. It's just light. It's just light in a dense position. And so just bring your awareness to it. 
that's the thing. That's all you have to do at first. Just bring your awareness. And by doing that, you're like a lighthouse. You're shining your light on the dark part of you so it can find its way home from the dark stormy seas, basically. And that's to get back to intention. Thank you, Brian. And to get back to intention. And the other part of intention is attention, right? So think of them as two sides of the same leaf. Intention informs like the type of energy that we're sending somewhere. So right now, if my intention is to have a open hearted conversation with Brian, then that's the container in which this experience will take place. But then the other piece is attention. So that dictates where you send your energy. So it's awareness. So if my awareness is on Brian, that's where the attention and intention is being sent via my attention. You use intention and attention to create the space to hold, to then reintegrate aspects of yourself basically. But you can also like Use intention and attention in your sales meetings, in your chat with your wife, in your the way you cook your food for your children, right? What you lead with an intention and, and put your awareness into it. And that's literally what shamans do. That's what's at the heart of all of this. It's like using your heart to create intention, using your awareness to send that energy to different places. And there's more to it than that, but that's really at the core. Yeah, that's a big part of it. And I want to highlight that for people that are just really hearing this intention and attention is that's what anybody that's ever grown up in religion. And when we're talking about praying over our food and giving blessings and giving thanks, that's setting intention and attention right there. You are literally saying, thank you for putting this all and coming together at this one point. So I can consume to get energy to whatever that is it. And there's so much of this reality of life of what we walk where, Hey, I want a degree or, Hey, I want a good job or, Hey, I want to make a lot of money. There's our intention and intention. So what are you doing that on a day-to-day basis? And that brings it back to the mind. What are you doing right now to set intention and attention in the things that you don't even realize you're doing? How can you bring attention to those dark places? Yeah. And also again, do your best to as one of my friends says, bow at the altar of impermanence to understand that everything is temporary. So don't get so attached to those destinations, that job you really want, that it doesn't mean don't aim for things. Take aim and head towards something. Eventually you have to choose something and move towards it. But like the more you attach, the more the extent to which you want something is the extent to which you're afraid of not having it. So by understanding that deeply, it's one thing to just hear me say that, but you will integrate that as you go about continually setting yourself these outcomes that you want and then having the suffering of not achieving them or not getting them. And we do that with so many things and the rooster agrees. It's our call to the hour too. I could talk on this so long and it's been such a great conversation with you, Jake, and just having this experience. And I hope our listeners were able to gain a lot of awareness out of it and bringing in attention, bringing into the mind, opening and forgiving ourselves. We touched on so many parts of healing and really integrating into life for the fullest. And it's been great. And I have to say, I got to cut it to a close or else we'll go on for hours and hours. But Jake, this has been a great conversation much brian very grateful for the work you're doing keep keep expanding and stay curious and yeah everyone listening like if there's anyone who wants to discuss more of these topics or maybe experience life in the amazon jungle or help to plant some trees or anything like that i'm your guy feel free to reach out on linkedin that's a good place to find me jake housden thanks so much brian big love to you from the jungle And that's this episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, Brian Sage. If you haven't already, hit the follow, hit the subscribe. We drop an episode every Wednesday, 7 o'clock Eastern, and we have a new guest, new entrepreneur, new leader, new someone that is just breaking the mold of mindset and really living what I like to say is the lost art of mindset. And if you're looking for more information about Jake in this episode, go down into the show notes. You'll find some more information about him and you'll find even information about me. If you want to check out more stuff around brianlesage.com, feel free to head over there. And as always, stay curious, keep expanding.